He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy. The media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I sat down with former member of the Fab Five and Michigan University former number one pick, NBA Rookie of the Year. Um, he made five all-star teams, made five all-NBA teams, and finished in the top five in MVP voting five different times. And future Hall of Famer, Chris Webber. We touched on so many different topics. We talked about the Fab Five, the possibility of a reunion, his upcoming documentary and book, We discussed the 2002 series against the Lakers and if they were cheated or not. His arrest while with the Wizards. Who would have beaten who with the Fab Five and UNLV and much more. This was a really good discussion. Hope you enjoy. All right, C-Webb, how you doing, sir? Hey, doing good. How you doing? Oh, thanks for coming on the rematch on uh, Fly TV and BasketballNews.com. Um, you know, th- there's so much I want to get into with you, so much I want to talk to you about. But first, how, how is life with, with being a new father? And, and the, you got the twins. You know, we're, we're on social media together, so I see the picture. I'm like, oh, congratulations. But how is it now? With the, how, how old are they? They're three, three and a half right now, going on like 13. But it's, yeah. it's a blessing, man. So it's, it's, it's real, though, raising, raising uh, you know, two kids at the same age at the same time but we're blessed and my wife she's a trooper so it's on her but the weekends i have them that's why i'm looking crazy right now but uh hopefully they don't, <laughs> hopefully they don't bust in here and tie me up you know what i mean and, hey. uh, and get some candy from me or something but it's all love man it's the best thing in the world oh it, it happens you know what i mean <laughs> i've had interviews yeah. Baby girl, come in. I'm like, what you doing? I'm gonna be like, I want to exactly. Yeah, but, but I got give you the proper. Exactly. Hold on, let me get a proper introduction. All right, C. Webb, um, a former number one pick, who was the 1993-94 NBA Rookie of the Year, made five All Star teams, five All NBA teams, finished top ten in NBA votings five times, is 26 all time in minutes uh, per game at 37.1 in 52nd all-time in career points per game at 20.7, top 100 for career rebounds, steals, blocks, minutes, and points, and averaged 9.8 rebounds and 4.2 assists during his 19-year career. 
and future Hall of Famer. You know, I don't I don't know have any explanation as to why you haven't been inducted yet. So I'll just say future Hall of Famer, Chris Weber. How you doing, sir? I got to give you the proper introduction. Hey, I'm doing you know what good. I mean? <laughs> Hey, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. No, I, you know, I appreciate because, it. Thanks you know, for having me on, though. Man. Oh, no, for sure. Because I, I grew up such a big fan of yours, you know, from high school. You know, and really, honestly, in my high school, Booker T. Washington, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in our minds, we thought we was the Fab Five. Like, in, in our minds, we were. You know what I mean? Yeah. We had, <laughs> yeah, and that's what's so crazy, because now I see the kids with, like, the little shorts. Like you couldn't, you couldn't beat us into no little shorts. Like we wanted shorts to our knees. We had the black shoes with the black socks, the whole swagger, and that was that was who we are, who we were, who we thought we were. You know, exactly. So it's exactly. It's, it's just it's just so amazing seeing all the great stuff you're doing. Um, you. you know, talk about that transis- transition because you've made a great transition from playing to being, you know, a commentator and everything like that. Talk about that transition. Was that always something that you wanted to do? Man, so the transition has been great and it's been made easier than normal because I've had great mentors. So, you know, Turner, um, Warner now really helped walk me through all of the great um, people we have there, Tim Kiley, um, uh, other people there, but they took interest and said, hey, you know, we want you to, to do this. And that meant a lot to me. And so from there, I had Dick Stockton, Marv Albert, those guys. I got to do my first games with Dick Stockton. And mm. so in a playoff uh, series. And so uh, doing the game with him and the Celtics, you know, remembering that iconic voice uh, mm. that, that he had at that time. I mean, those guys really blessed me with knowledge. So the transition has been good. And I, I didn't know I wanted to be a commentator, but you know how we used to watch tape. We would grow up right. and you would listen to the commentators. But I knew that it needed to be commentators like myself, though. I, I knew that it needed to be commentators that say, um, wow, Lamar Jackson really can throw. And by the way, he's athletic. <laughs> you know, I, I knew right. that it needed to be a different um, narrative because, you know, when we grew up and there were only six channels, 247, yeah. uh, 56, 62, where I was from in your PBS station, you know, uh-huh. what people said really carried a lot of weight, those, you know, certain people. And so when we were in Michigan, we, we cut our heads, our, our hair bald one time, just as a, we were just geek. You know, my father, I bet him he wouldn't cut his hair bald. He always had this Muhammad Ali fresh mm-hmm. cut, you know, Kovatis every time you see him. And for his generation to cut his hair would be crazy, but he did it, you know, saying, I bet you guys won't get to the final four with joking. And I remember watching the game. I remember Bill Walton, you know, saying, wow, they look like thugs. And I, and yeah. to me, it wasn't a stick. It wasn't him and his funny stick or any or unfunny stick. It was, I know what you really think we look like. I mean, right. if, you, if you're really honest, to say that about 18-year-old kids, the word yeah. thugs with them playing, you know, that's, that's serious. And the cavalier attitude of the stations and people at that time. And I remember after the game, my mother talking about it and saying, baby, you know, that's what they're going to think of you. That's why whatever you do. You just have to be your best at it so that they'll have to judge you later on everything else. You have more control if you have any control. And so um, I I take it very seriously, the fact that uh, I'm a commentator. Um, I I love my job. I love being able to express to kids what's going on. I'm a fan of the game. I'm a fan of all these guys. I'm an ex-player, so we can hold them accountable. 
and mm-hmm. I can tell the fans how hard it is what they're doing and not just be some screaming pundit on TV every day, but to really relay the energy. And so to me, it means a lot. You know, it's interesting because uh, my son, my son is uh, 15 and, you know, I'm teaching him a lot about a lot of the things that you just said. And, you know, he, he's read he's read a Fab Five book. He's watched a documentary. And the part where you said about Bill Walton um, saying that you're thugs. So, I, you know, I, I have locks. You know, my son has had locks since he was young and there's a certain stigma with locks. And he's actually been, you know, now he's he's a freshman at the math now. But he, you know, in choosing schools, there were some schools that didn't want him to have locks. And they used words like, you know, we don't want any of our players to look like thugs. And I was just amazed that in 2020, you still have that same thing. You know what I mean? But you but having somebody who, you know, talked about it. Like like you and and the, and the Fab Five and y'all addressing it. That's the part that I mean because you know a lot of times you know they, they put certain black faces on on TV to have certain positions. Let's be honest, you know. And and so to have y'all as that voice, it's important. How important it is is it to you to to mix some of that in that consciousness into to things that as you're doing your regular commentating. It's so important. Because all the time they appropriate our culture by mm-hmm. being able to say, you know, uh, there's Rihanna over there. And then they Google umbrella eh, 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 or, or say something. But to be able to be like, yo, there's Rihanna over there. You know what she's done for charity. And when right. I know you love her lipstick. But don't forget about my man over here that did this. But to be able mm-hmm. to be sincere. So I'm not saying by any chance, uh, by any flow that I'm better than anyone else or anything, but I am sincere and I know that's a part of me because I really don't care what, you, you know, I'm sure we all care what people say, but I really don't care. You know, I saw something, you know, the older you are, the more you experience and maybe people take certain things for granted, but I've always thought that, of course, our political leaders led the way um, in black communities, church leaders, um, school teachers, as far as, um, as far as, just the political sense of how we are, but I don't believe the living rooms of people would have been opened up to um, black men, black women, if it weren't for entertainers, if it weren't for athletes, you, you know, at those times. So if you think about who's the first uh, man and the guy in the Cleveland's uh, white home, is it Jim Brown? Because he was a football player and said, hey, son, you can be like that. Was it Sam right. Davis? Was it this? And so it's so funny that people have always said, well, you guys have this responsibility or you do this. And I just think that it's just my responsibility just to be me. And I think that's the advantage that I have. And I got to see guys like AI. The reason why I was going to that point, you know, I remember a friend of mine not getting the job because he had braids. Now, I know this is stupid. This is simple. You know, it's back when time never had braids, right? If it wasn't for guys like AI taking the hit, you know. Right. It eventually could happen, but how do how does the culture become uh, more culturally aware unless cultural icons bring it to the population? And I think a lot of times guys take a hit for it. Um, whether you're Durant that don't that doesn't necessarily get a cut, whether you're me that goes back and forth and have your barber mad or coming out. But to me, I embrace it. I love the texture of our hair. I love the fact that I can come looking wild and then have waves the next day. Like those right. are things I want my son to embrace because he looks crazy in people's eyes i'm sure but he's beautiful you know right. what i mean and so all of those things just you know just just not having to be ashamed or having to even be aware 
is a right. blessing. And so I think just casually, hopefully, we're bringing those things to TV, all commentators, all guys from ESPN, Turner, and people like yourself that, that have an opinion and we'll get to show ourselves on TV. Definitely. I mean, and it's so important. You know, I keep going back because really with the Fab Five, y'all opened my eyes up being a young player in high school to the exploitation of the NCAA. That's what y'all opened my eyes up to because I was I didn't even think on those terms before reading the Fab Five book. And I'm reading about you, you know, looking up at the, you know, you was talking about looking up at the rafters and the stands and seeing your jerseys all over the place. But then you look at your pocket and you don't even have enough money to take a girl on a date. But you see all of these people making money off of you. So like the, your freshman year, it was all fun. Y'all was all smiling. Everything was good. But then sophomore year, it wasn't as fun anymore because you started seeing the exploitation that was going on. And, that, and I think that really opened up everybody's eyes in a way that, that you know, wasn't really done before. Like it was generational, you know, you know type of a thing. Talk to me about that impact that you all had. I mean, because honestly, it was amazing. And be careful, man. You're going to have those people after you. you you're bringing up some, some you're going to be vilified, trust me. Um, yeah, I, I it's, it's so funny that that's the sense that you get, and that's the truth, and, and we can talk about it. But it's ways to, you know, stop a message of progress, and that's what's kind of disappointing to me about people that are falling for the trap of saying that we took money or not really going through it. Because if you read the Fab Five book, um, it kind of tells you what, what happens. Um, I think, yeah, our second year, it's a lot of things that that we did collectively. Um, Jawan Howard, Ray Jackson, Jimmy King, Jane Rose, and myself, we were aware. And what do I mean by being aware? Um, uh, you know, I remember going to a store, and it was a reporter with us. So he wrote about it. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember it was a store going to going to Subway, and I used to love the grilled thick grilled chicken sandwiches. And I always had to have a hot bag of Cheetos. It was like it wasn't superstitious; it's just what I what I was like. And I would get it, and you know what I like, yeah. And so well, I go there with a friend, and we don't have enough to, to get it. This is my sophomore year, and coming out, we get a sandwich, we split it, we cool. You know, in college, you just keep it moving, right. and. Uh, we walked past the we walked past the store, the school yeah. store. Yeah. And it was the first time I ever saw my jersey. And it was a wonderful feeling, you know. Weber on the back, all capital letters, the small capital letters, the blue yeah. jersey, gold letters. And I remember thinking then, damn, I'm hungry. How much of that jersey do I get? Right. You know? Right. And so um, yeah, it was, you know, those type of things. After we wore black socks, how many people purchased the black sock, how it was known, mm-hmm. how it was, it was all of our swag. It was all of our opinion. No one else's. Ray Jackson did that for black mm-hmm. socks. It was no corporation. It was nothing that so kids are wearing it now. It's because of him. We did it. And it's an awesome yeah. feeling to be a part of that. So you look at the blessing, like, wow, we had cultural influence. We were doing things that people didn't care about. We wore long shorts then to buck the system like if you went to indiana you had to play with no name on the back of your jersey like mm-hmm. what and right no name on the back of my jersey <laughs> right. it's my father this is my father name what are you, talking yeah. about? you know what i mean yeah. or the fact that um 
You couldn't have hair on your face. So the fact you couldn't do things. And some things are fine, some things are discipline. But I think was we work hard enough to be able to show who our personalities are for. You recruited us individually. You respect our personalities individually. And so um, let us show that because we're going to give you all you want. So it takes a collective effort and Coach Fisher and others understood. Um, but, you know, it, it was we were very aware that we were being exploited. And, you know, our sophomore year, we really weren't. Well, I can speak for myself. I really wasn't up for the games and all that. I wanted the championship. We got beat by Duke. You know, y'all didn't like us. Now you like us. You know, all the bandwagon yeah. stuff. We from Detroit. You know, Jamal's from Chicago. You know, Ray Jimmy from Texas. We're from areas where, you know, you don't believe in us anyway. So it was like, oh, we had something to fight for then, too. Like, y'all going to play this and don't believe in us. So, brother, we, right. were, very, we were very conscious because we knew you know, we knew we were playing for people in our neighborhood. We knew we were giving them a bright light. We knew that on the weekends we were giving them something to talk about. We didn't know, I didn't know how big we were nationwide, but you know, we knew that, we knew that it was an innate destiny with everyone and that hopefully we could do something for them because the joy they was filling us with was what was making us succeed on the court. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? And like I said, y'all, y'all affected us. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we, like I said, we swore we were the Fab Five. You know, I, I wore black yeah, shoes and black socks. Listen, I wore black shoes and black socks all through college at Syracuse, you know, because of y'all. You know, you know what I mean? I had the baggiest shorts. Yeah, so I mean, I it, was a, it was definitely That's respect. Insane, and so I'm looking at it now exactly. of where, where the NCAA is now and this climate that we have. And I'm looking at the COVID situation and I, I and going back to the exploitation, I got to say, it doesn't sit well with me. And I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, NCAA started and you have you have these young guys out there playing. Um, I want to say risking their health, risking their lives, because we don't know the long term effects of testing positive with COVID. But you have all I mean, listen, I was interviewing my, my old coach, Coach Beheim, right? and Literally a few days after our interview, he tested positive for COVID. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. I'm watching them. I'm like, wow, like y'all not shutting the whole thing down still. And it, it's, it's, I feel for these young kids because I don't think they really have a choice to say, I don't feel comfortable playing in this environment with this COVID situation. I'd rather sit out. I don't think they have the, 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 the ability or the option to say that. And that goes back to the exploitation of college athletes. You know what I mean? You know, I've been uh, really affected by COVID. Uh, I've had two people very close to me, very, 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 very close to me, uh, contracted. And I knew how serious it was, and I thought I did uh, until I really saw it. Uh, you know, you have people months later that can't walk upstairs. I'm talking right. about healthy. Right. Uh, that was running miles days before you know or the day of or, or whatever um mm. you know i'm talking to doctors how the heart tissue may thicken and you know everybody i just uh i don't like how we as a society are taking it as if we know what's going to happen even the fact they say kids can't contract i mean how many times has you know the government been wrong about yeah. diagnosing a, a disease or or you know, how untrustworthy have they been, especially in the black community right. um, when you talk about vaccines and other things. And so 
Um, one, I think that, that all of us really need to sit and really think about it and don't just get caught up with 250 past. Like, that's terrible. And look at it like, I mean, it's just it's just the people that have had to die alone. And my niece, my cousin is a nurse, and she just tells me, like, she's watched people pass away with no one in their family, just right. lonely screaming. You know, the worst things that we could think of. And so how will it affect these kids later? You know, that that's... That's that's my thing. As adults, you can make a decision, but as you know, you know, sometimes as kids, young men, you need other people to help you make a decision. But you know, I I I just think it's adults telling telling kids whether it's in that or, or anything else. And as a kid, I want to play. You would not be able to do anything except shut the season down. But that's what right. I would need. You know, that's why my knees hurt right. now. I play when I should have played. So right. you know, uh, you know, I, I just. Uh, Man, football is one of my favorite, you know, sports, college football, you know, I'm watching mm -hmm. them go through the same things in and out. And, you know, just personally, I would just hope that these top picks have extra insurance. I would not that you can't. I would hope that, uh, you, you know, something that, that people don't understand is that you don't get health insurance for college for injuries suffered in college. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And really just think about that. Just mm -hmm. just really think about that, you, you know? And so those injuries affect you your whole life. And this is something as well that um, may not be able to be covered later on. So I, I think there's so many implications. I think it's scary. And uh, I think that, you know, when we start to see the vestiges of this disease and what starts coming out after it, everyone's going to say, oh, you know, we shouldn't have done it. Everybody's going to forget. But Right now, I'm very aware of who's making decisions, who's letting kids play. I'm I'm so aware of it, but it's nothing to do really but to sit and watch right now because you know, you know, someone said the answer to everything is money. All right, <laughs> that's what falls down to. Just say, just just say money. Yeah. Right, and that's and that's the amazing part. I mean, even going down to the high school level. I mean, right now, you know, like I said, my son's at the math, and you know, they're not playing right now. But I'm looking at other states. Uh, like my hometown, Tulsa, Oklahoma, they had a whole football season with people in the stands. And, and every, I was like, how is that possible? But then you see that with a lot of red states, Texas, Georgia, Florida, you know what I mean? Well, Georgia's not red anymore, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Originally red states. But, yeah, right, they, right. but I'm looking at it the, with these young kids, putting them at risk. And it's just we don't even know the long term effects. And so I, I can understand. So I was somebody who was against the NBA starting. I wrote an open letter to Adam Silver, everything, right back back when it first started. But he, he, he has done, I have to applaud him for that, he has done a great job of putting together a system, which was the NBA bubble, that was proven to work and be effective. So if you're going to have colleges mimic what, try to, try to mimic what the NBA did, that's different. You know what I mean? If you're, but, yeah. Yeah. but just yeah. kind of trying to see if it worked or not, and and if somebody tests positive, you just move them to the side and then try to keep – that doesn't sound like a good system to me. Well, I would just – first of all, you're right about Adam Silver. I was very um, worried about how it would go through. And uh, But being down there as part of the bubble, I mean, the protocol is just – you know, nothing is for certain. But down there, it was for certain. Every other day you're getting tested. The same with uh, other employees, uh, visitors, food uh, – contact uh, list delivery, things like that. And right. you know, I think that with kids, one is too many. You could say adults have a choice, but with kids, one is too many. And we've seen from college football that 
you're going to contract it outside of a bubble, period. And can you do everything and keep a, a teenager in their room? No, but you can do as much as you can. And so uh, hopefully, you know, the NBA's lead will be followed, especially if we have a tournament, especially if we have other things. Hopefully it's followed because it's also unfair to base guys' legacies if we want to say, well, a kid needs a senior year, he needs to play. It's unfair basing the kid's legacy on, you know, his point guard getting sick in COVID because it wasn't in a protected environment right. as well. And so right. um, I, I, I do get the kids wanting to play. I couldn't imagine being in a situation where I couldn't play and it's my senior year or losing a scholarship. But I think that that's why it just needs to be a mandate from, from top to bottom, whether high school, whether other things to say, listen, if it isn't a play, and I know they've granted this for certain sports, but I think when it's clarity from the top to bottom, it helps people make more informed decisions without being as anxious and can kind of take it through the different steps of agreement and then get there. And I, because it was no necessary leadership in, in sports to say these type of things, it, it, it kind of turns into a wild web. And, and also, you know, with the NCAA, there's not one protocol for the entire NCAA. Like I thought that there was why I asked Coach Beheim if there was one protocol that the entire NCAA has to follow with coronavirus and COVID protocols. And he was like, no. I was like, wait a minute. So you're leaving up to each school to, to come up with their own, you know, protocol during a national pandemic? That doesn't even make logical sense. And then you have those schools playing against other schools. So what if their protocol is, you know, not up to par, but your protocol is? Then you're exposing your players to somebody else whose protocol is, you know what I mean, not up to par. That That's not a good system to me, Chris. Like, I'm looking at I'm like, what am I missing? You you would think that if you all belong to one body, it'd be one rule. Right, right. But so, I, I, so, don't, I, so, I, I wish I could, I wish I could help you there. I don't have anything. I, that's one of the things that I was wondering in the beginning, you know, of all of this. So I, I don't get that. Yeah, I'm like, y'all, you know, you know, Mark Emmerich and all those guys, they get paid a lot of money to do what? Is it what they're supposed to do in a situation like this? Have everybody on a, you know, I ain't go, there's a lot we could talk about, but it's interesting. No, and for, no, no, no. <laughs> and for everybody out there that wonders, you know, why we're going this way, when, when a coach comes into your house, he recruits your son or daughter mm -hmm. or whatever sport. And right. this is the kind of spiel he gives. And, and most coaches probably abide by it. So, but the spill you're going to get is, uh, this is a great university. We build young men and women here. We prepare them for the future. We'll protect them. We'll mm -hmm. protect them as if they yep. were my own son. We'll yep. look out for their best interests. Education comes first. And so that's why we're having this conversation, because 99% of athletes are, are given that story. And right now, uh, I've seen some parents that, you know, want them to remember that conversation. Of course. And they need. To, and it's interesting the point where you said that they they say, OK, a lot of players want to play, so we have to let them play. I'm like, well, a lot of players want to get paid because they feel that they should be getting paid in college. But you don't use that same logic with that, huh? You know, you know what I mean? You can't pick and choose what the players want to your benefit. <laughs> I work with so many uh, young families in high school all across uh -huh. the country. One, to make sure they're not exploited in ways that we were. Uh, two, to make sure they have power over their decisions. And three, to make sure they don't owe anybody else. Mm. And I hope my experience has allowed other families to be free in making these decisions. And I, I just want you to know, man, the Berlin Wall is, is cracking. It's cracking. 
Yeah. It's always been cracking. And shout out to people like Ed O'Bannon. You know how he was vilified? Yeah. Oh, my God. Ed O'Bannon, Ed O'Bannon was vilified. They wanted to talk about where he worked, what he did. Thank you, Ed O'Bannon, for speaking Definitely. up about it. Thank you, Bill Russell. There's an yes. interview I did with Bill Russell speaking about it that yeah. you'll probably never see again when, when he speaks on college and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you, you won't hide his voice. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. Thank you, others. Yeah. And so um, hopefully families are getting more options. Hopefully there are many more ex-players reaching back. Hopefully um, there's just a shift, um, a, a shift in everything. And hopefully guys that work hard and go to school can just get a great education because most athletes don't go pro. Right. Um, but for those that do, you know, it'd be great to own your name and likeness in uh, college especially if you can go to the army at 18 and other things and so it's it's uh the people are becoming empowered and the people know that they have a right to speak and uh that old uh you know the old veil that was over saying education is worth uh you know i'm giving you education and that's worth more than no uh, that's right. that's not true and a lot of my friends that are some of the most successful people that you know that are still paying back uh, college loans would tell you that as well. So I think everybody recognizes now the system, and I mean the eighth grade parents, tenth grade parents, and hopefully, you know, it's, it's you ain't gonna be, you know, as you know, you're not gonna be able to stop the movement soon. They're gonna have to really, you know, we're gonna have to do something, or it, it can't implode. And it's, it's always so interesting when you hear people say that, as far as um, the trade-off that you're getting the free education, and then that should equal you know, what your what the school is made. And I'm like, yeah, but you gotta understand they're making billions, like a with a B. Like what they make for March Madness and what they you gotta just I remember being in economics class at Syracuse and looking at the numbers. And we're actually studying numbers. And I'm like, well wait a minute, maybe back in the fifties this was a good trade off, but now you have T V contracts, you have merchandising, you have all this stuff. That doesn't equal what a scholarship or what the tuition is. That the numbers aren't the same. So you can't make that, you know, correlation. And I think that when people don't look at it like that, they look at it as the athlete owing the school. I'm like, wait a minute. No, this is the other way around. They're the ones making the money off the athlete. It's like, and this is, this is what I always, um, the, the analogy I always make. I say it's like a underdeveloped country, right? Like say you go to an underdeveloped country and you have a, a, a organization, a company, doesn't matter what company, just a company that goes there and sets up shop, right? And they hire the people there to work there for pennies a day while they make millions. And then they say, okay, well, would these people be better off from us giving them this job? It's like, okay, you have a point. Yes, they'll be better off. But are you exploiting them <laughs> while you're making millions and you're giving them literally pennies a day? That's what the NCAA is doing. Is that too strong of an analogy or do you agree with that? Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's too strong of an analogy. And Bill Russell, made a made analogy that goes even further deeper than that and, and i don't know if players should get paid i don't know if they should put 10 percent away in the escrow for these athletes i don't know if there should be free health care for these athletes after if you incur incur injury i don't know if she should take care of the athletes that have children you, you know i don't know if the food stipend should be more uh, I don't know if there should be more internships with the programs of the boosters that you have that, you know, get the kids and get the people in these schools that there should be more programs. You know, I, I, I don't know, but I know a lot can be done. And the fact that, 
you know, when, when you don't, you know, it's just so many more ways to work together with different groups and entities now. I just know that players and people and agents are going to empower uh-huh. each other to go to different things, whether you, you know, and so it something, something has to be done. It's, it's not, no, it's not too strong to say. No, I, I have, uh, I'm, I'm going to call her a guide daughter. She's a, a rower. Uh-huh. Uh, she was recruited, one of the top rowing teams. A new coach comes on. Now, now I'm an athlete, so I know you can pout. You should get kicked off the team. If it, none of this was going on, the coach really said, I'm trying to save my job. I recruited somebody else. I don't care what your last coach told you. There's no such thing as a four-year scholarship. Right. So the team turns against you, all these other things. And mentally, you go through all these things because people don't realize team is a family. It, it's supposed to be a microcosm of family. It's supposed to be that of the world. So these kids are putting all they have into it. And to not be rewarded, there's so many problems that have, happen after that from kids that I work with um, that, that so much has to be addressed. And so I, it is, it's, really, um, it's really something that needs to be addressed with time. I think, it, I think it will be because, you know, when you see the kid from Memphis last year, that, that mm-hmm. hurt my heart. That he oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, you know, that hurt my heart just as much as kids not playing for COVID. Because what are you doing? Like, what right. type of stigma are you trying to? You know, yeah. so I, I believe a lot of things are going to get addressed. And shout out to all the veterans and ex-players that, that look back and helped me when I was in high school and college. And we just got to do the same thing. Man. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people don't know the point that you made that your, your scholarship isn't a four-year scholarship. I found that out when I was in Syracuse because my, she was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, Nicole. She got injured after her junior year. And the doctor told her, look, if you, if you she played on the, on the women's team. And the doctor told her, look, if you want to be able to play around and walk with your kids when, you know, run around with your kids when you're older, you need to stop playing. And of course, to an athlete, that's devastating. But that's what the doctor, shout out to Dr. Raphael, um, told her, well, the women's team tried to take her scholarship her senior year after the doctor told her that she, she had to get a lawyer with her mother, meet with Jake Kraft Hamill, who was the AD at the time, fight for her scholarship. It was a fight. If she didn't make this big stink about it, everything like that, they would have taken her scholarship. And the thing is, and she, she's like, why you always got to tell that story? But every time I tell that story, we get at least 10 messages of other kids that are dealing with it right now and ask her for advice of what to do. And that's terrible. Like, people don't know that this goes on in the NCAA all the time. That's crazy. <laughs> Shout out to your wife because she's strong and because most kids would have just tried to give up. Think right. about it. You're going to fight the school for the scholarship you've been promised. Yes. So even after you stand there, that means your relationship with the coach is done. That means oh, you don't no. know how they look at you. I mean, of it's course. all mentally bullying. So first, child to her because this is strong. Second, right. what about kids that can't get a lawyer? Or right. kids that have no family or no one to lean on? Or it's right. your sophomore year and you don't know anyone. So, yeah, that, that you know, I, I see so many guys now in their 30s, late 30s, early 40s going through problems I know that they suffered in college yeah. and can't do anything about it. Yeah. And, and you know, when you have physical decline, that turns the mental decline, that turns, you know, and you just you just see the down spiral. So yeah, those type of stories, uh, those are the truth. And that's what that's what I think about when I see those players on the court, uh, more than anything. Hopefully they get the best experience out of it. Hopefully it make through unscathed and hopefully they can do something to change it for the next with you. I want to ask you this though. Um, during the during the um, 
this past summer, the bubble season, you know, you, you gave a really impassionate and emotional um, response to what everything that was going on. Um, you know, it was after Jacob Blake was shot multiple times, broad daylight, you know, in front of everybody and the, all the teams, all the, all the players went on strike. I was uh, fortunate enough to um, and blessed enough to interview you for my book, We Matter, Athletes and Activism. I appreciate you for that interview. So I've heard you tell the stories of the talk that we have to have in black families with our children. And they're, they're talks that honestly, you know, white people don't have to have with their children. It's just different. They see a case, oh, that's terrible, and they move on. But for us, how it affects us differently. And I, I wanted you to talk about, because in, 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 um, in our interview in, in We Matter, you talked about the, the situation that happened in D.C. while you was with the Wizards. And I thought it was such a, such a story, and I've used this story with my AU team to show, you know, about how when you interact with the police, you, they are going to escalate the situation off of jump because they see the color of your skin. That's just a fact. I, and I use your story as, a, as an example. Listen, this was Chris Weber. This is one of any old black person. This was Chris Weber playing, starring for the Wizards. You know what I mean? They ain't had success in this town since you don't know when. They are, the whole town is excited, everything. And this is how the police treated him. They saw him. They thought he was in a stolen car. He's Chris Weber. He don't have to steal a car. And the story that they told in the media afterwards, they were like, they told a story like you, like you looked at him, you got on your phone, like I don't have to show you nothing, pig. Like that was the story that they told. Like that's not what happened. So I want you to tell, go through that story and how you use that. If you use that, I use it all the time with my AAU guys and my son and his friends and everything. But how you use that story to 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 not only tell young people about their rights. Not only tell young people, because I just finished watching um, When They See Us with my oldest two. And so, you know, from that, anybody that's seen that, you have to have a whole discussion about, you know, what to do if you are questioned, never say anything without your parent or your lawyer present, never say, you know, so you have to go through the, the rules that we have that other, you know, white people don't really have to necessarily worry about. So talk about your story, first of all, of what happened in D.C., while you was here with the Wizards, and how you use that, you know, when you talk to young black males and all the work that you're doing now. Well, so uh, uh, I had to be 23 or 24. Uh, you know, uh, I was in a Toyota 4Runner, uh, had a hat on, probably looking bummy, you know, probably an inside-out sweatshirt or something like that, going to practice, nine mm -hmm. in the morning, uh, coffee. Um, and uh, I'm speeding, I'm speeding, get pulled over. I'm speeding, I'm thinking like, you know, <laughs> you got me, let's get this ticket over with. And so uh, I don't have my license. And I, he comes back to the car, I don't have my license, I have my bag. I said, you know what, I don't have my license. My full name is such and such. My first name isn't Chris, so give him my full name, uh, give him everything. Uh, social security number, everything, everything, full name. And he goes, uh, okay, I'll be right back. So I sit in the car about 30, 40 minutes, and I'm like, okay, let me call my agent. So I call my agent, say, call Wes, and I say, I'll tell him I'll be late 
before because <laughs> I got a ticket, you know. And it was I was mad because we had a joke on the team where you had to put money into a pot and yeah. the guys would just spend the money on whatever. So all I'm yeah. thinking is like, Dang, these guys all do. So uh the guy comes back and goes, uh, this car is stolen. I just I laugh. I said, sir, it's a lie. This car this car ain't stolen. You did not go back there and this car was not reported stolen. Right. Said my name again is this and that. And then I said, if you want to see the car stolen, the serial number happened to be on the tag because I had just purchased the car. Right. And I said, matter of fact, there's no bills. It's not a dollar older. You, you purchased it in and cash. You I think, me, you know, you we didn't, it in cash. Like it was paid for. Right. <laughs> it was paid for. I'm sorry. Yeah, let, right. me, let me go through it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I purchased it in cash. And so it was no way. And so my lawyer, shout out to him at the time, Mr. Erwin, he said, uh, he said, I'm going to take this conversation. And I'm like, no, don't do that. It was the old uh, Benz, where, uh, the old thing where I had the phone and the dashboard. And I was mm -hmm. like, thank you. And he's taking the conversation. So it's not funny, but it's, it's funny after. Uh, all I remember is, you know, short cop, maybe five foot six or so, pulled out something and just bop, bop, just kept spraying me in the face with it. And I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. And, you know, pull me down, put you on the freeway, you feel cars going behind your ear. Um, and and honestly, all I said was, <laughs> it ain't a dollar to be paid on this car. Something like that. It's nine in the morning, I got coffee in my hand. I'm I'm relaxed, I'm ready to go to practice. And so, uh, to make a long story short, we go to court. Uh, <laughs> man, this is, this is funny. So we go to court and uh, I remember the lawyer on the other side going, this. You know, this isn't about a traffic stop. You know, there's a song right out, out right now about about P. Diddy. It's called Money, Power, and Respect. That's what this is about. This man was speeding on his way to practice and all of this. And to make a long story short, a couple of things. I remember sitting in court going, there's no black people in here. And thank God, you know, I had enough money to have an attorney. And my attorney was a great attorney that happened to be black. Mm -hmm. But I also know that there's a cultural currency and awareness that goes around. It needs to be explained a lot of times between different people of different colors. And um, that really was just hurting me. It was just, and no one black. And so uh, we proved them wrong. Uh, they showed he was not truthful through the tape and other things like that. I'm, I'm really making it condensed because, you know, at the same time, you know, your mother's hearing about it. Church is praying for you. You know, I have younger kids in high school at the same right. time. This, this reporter comes to my high school that day, speaks to, you know, it's my sister's first day of high school and, do you know, all this, this, this crazy stuff. And uh, I remember getting off and that was great. But what I did about it, you know, we've scholarshiped over 20 lawyers and that's the only thing you can do about it. So my thing, I'll tell the story. But but more importantly, I think we've encouraged a lot of people and reinforced some people's encouragement to be lawyers because we need more people in the courtroom. Nothing has changed except there's cameras. That's it. Nothing has changed except there's cameras that taper. So there's so many people right now that are in the same situation that if you don't have a camera or a phone, who knows what position that you're going to be in? And you need somebody to trust you and believe you and, and those type of things. And so. Man, we've tried to help a lot of people um, reach their dream and also help others and give back. But that was, um, I don't know if I missed anything, but that was one of the craziest and uh, worst situations of my life because 
you know, they turn it into a novel. You've done all this, you've done that. And it's a simple traffic stop. You don't have your license. You're honest about it. Uh, I remember, so I get uh, sprayed up and everything. And I remember them throwing me into a cell. <laughs> and I remember just getting in the middle of the floor praying, right? And after I prayed, I just balled my fist up like, 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 I don't know who in here, but we about to start swinging. And then I remember the brothers, just somebody giving me, you know, a bottle of water. So what else is funny is that next day I, I sent the case of uh, mace to my mother and just made sure that, let her know, this stuff work? It could be a bear coming at you. It could be anything. But if you get sprayed with this, <laughs> right. nothing else could happen. But, man, you know, I make light of it. I make light of it e just to keep going. But yeah. it was serious. And, and a lot of those things you have to, you know, you have to be thankful for God that it wasn't worse, thankful for his grace that you got out. But more importantly, do something to make a change. And, and for me, I know there's a couple more people of color in in, in courtrooms because of, uh, of what they tried to do that day. One of the things that we talked about in the book um, was the way that the media then vilified you after that. And, you know, what the things that the message that I give to a lot of the young young people that I work with and my guys from my, you know, my AAU team, shout out to FBCG, Dynamic Disciples, um, is the media is going to vilify you. And I use the example of you see Trayvon Martin was murdered and then he became on trial. You see Jacob Blake was shot multiple times and then he's the one on trial. You see Breonna Taylor. You know what I mean? She's killed and then she's on trial. So and I make that correlation because there is a pattern in society where, you know, we are vilified in the media. We have to do everything right. Like in the situation where, you know, you have to put your, you know, your, your phone on record. We have video. They show video of stuff. I just interviewed Chakisha Clemens, who was uh, um, assaulted by the police at, at the Waffle House. They have the video, but they arrested her for resisting arrest. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just amazing. So it, you, you talked about how the media, and I want you to explain to this because, again, you're Chris Webber. Like, it's not like you're a regular black person that has to do, you're Chris Webber. And the way that the media vilified you after that, I, I, it, I had such a problem with that, you know, young watching that. But talk about that a little bit because, you know, that was a, that was a key point. Yeah. And sometimes the media wins by sticking to one bullet point. Mm. Um, and that's all they have to do. That's why I know you are. But I would just encourage you and I encourage my friends to have their children read. I'm not talking about learn to read. I'm not talking about reading to just mm -hmm. do anything or waste time. But when, when you read, you, you capture different parts and essence of the story. And when you read something, even if it's an article you've been told, you can say, wait a minute, that don't sound right. And so that, that's what I hated about the media at that time, whether it's me in college saying I took money, or whether it's stories like this, no one's ever looked into it. They've all reported off of the other reporter. Right. I was talking to Coach Izzo about that taping our documentary that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so funny. We laugh at we laugh at it. The only time someone in the media wants to tell a different story is if it's shocking mm -hmm. or if it's just loud and makes no sense. No one ever goes into a story and goes deeper, you know? <laughs> And so to me, I had to learn at a very young age. So I made it, I made, 
it's, it's crazy, but I, I go back here. So at 12 grade and 12 years old, I'm the number one player in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know what that meant. It's no TVs or anything like that. Um, and the next year, I watched the world recruit me. So on a Saturday, we come on one of those local Friday night shows. I mm-hmm. was 12, I scored 63 points, 15 dunks. I'm looking at the TV. I'm just like, my mom, get us in the huddle. We say a prayer. And I'll never forget after the prayer, it was, it was on. Whether it was fake friends, fake family, or people mm-hmm. saying things and like stuff I, I really didn't get. Nope. I really got at age 14 what it was all about. So at age 14, we're from the hood. Mother's a teacher, a wonderful woman. Pops, he work at a factory. This is our life. I got the smartest, best people in the world. I don't know I'm broke, but I just know I might not be able to rock what you rocking. But I don't really right. know what broke is because everybody around us is the same. Right. There's right, love, right. It's, it's family. And so I don't go to the I don't go to the high school people want me to go to. Now right. I want to go to this high school. Yeah. So first of all, let me say more importantly. I didn't like my mother and my father because I didn't agree with their decision. Right. So I got my beef with my mother and father at this time. Right. And the world is saying, these guys are rich. They don't want to go to this high school. (laughs) (laughs) And when I saw that manipulated by the adults that were the coaches at these schools, Uh when I saw how a coach would say to a kid in Detroit that wasn't as good as me, but close or something at that time, Hey man, you know, Chris, he ain't gonna come there. And I'm seeing you buy into it and I'm seeing, I got it. And, and, and it was hurtful. It was one of them lonely things, but it was something when I saw it, I was like, okay, don't nobody really believe the truth of the story. Like I will not go crazy trying to make someone believe what they're not gonna believe. Because if you're someone that doesn't read into the story or take five seconds to listen, then you like gossiping. And that's cool right. because a lot of people like gossiping. So, if me being a good player means I'm gonna be in the gossip, you know, I had to have it make sense because here I'm in a situation where I saw what happened, I saw how it was going. The story the day before I don't go to college to this high school is all oh, great kid, hardworking family. The minute I go to this prep school that I don't want to go to, right? It's this by those same people that you know right. a lot of time it's, it's a lot of time it's the narrative. That's the narrative with the fat five, that's the narrative with this, and so. The media, you know, if you think about everything with the last president, the media acts like they didn't allow it. Right. Every station. Yeah. Every yeah. station. Yeah. Like they didn't show meaningless clips and they didn't do this. You know what I mean? So I yeah. laugh at the judgment of the media right now. Right. You, you know what I mean? Even, you know, so it's, um, I'm, I'm sorry I got away from your original question. No, no, no. But, no. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like, I had to understand at an early age that most people are going to listen to whatever they're going to listen to, and most people don't know the truth. That don't mean they're stupid. That don't mean they can't understand. It just means like they like the sensationalism of it, and they're not going to say, wait a minute, that, and if it that, so what? And by the way, you know, they just, and maybe they're not that informed in those situations. So for me, I've just always tried to keep on blinders, keep good people around you that remind you of the truth, that live the truth, and then let all the noise you know, be out there because if you don't and you let that outside noise come into your life, you already know what type of problems, you know, that have. And that's why I think faith is important. I think good friends are important. I think being a good man so you know the truth, sticking to innocence is important, but they will vilify you, brother. They 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 come and they will vilify you. You just have to know that, you know, 
you're strong enough to get back up and hopefully you're sticking to um, a principle of truth to make it all work. And, and that's really, you know, to be quite honest, that's the reason why I started doing the show, The Rematch, because I saw how the media always vilifies us and they get the story wrong and they have their anonymous sources and the sources be all making stuff up. Sometimes they make stuff up. Sometimes they just be completely incorrect. You know, sometimes they base their their what they call facts off of somebody else that is incorrect or or made something up. And so you have guys that are vilified when people don't even know the whole story. They don't even they think they know, but they really don't know. So it 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 bothered me seeing guys vilified off of something that was inaccurate. Do you know what I mean? And people see like people see you all the time. People see you commentating and then they think they know you. They heard this, they heard that, boom, they know who Chris Webber is. And they ain't got no idea. Like literally, they have no idea who you are. And for me, it just, that has always just bothered me because you hear people repeat stuff as if they're factual and they be completely wrong. And it's fine. <laughs> I, I admit, I'm a recluse. Um, I'm private, I guess. I'm not doing nothing. And, and and that's what's funny. Like, I hear good stuff. Like, I just heard that, uh, you know, me and the family were in Bali doing something. And I was, uh, uh, they saw a picture of me with a priest and some incense blowing up. And I'm like, I've never been there. I don't even know it. But you take, you take, man, you take, you take the good with the bad. But I get that that comes with me, comes with it. But also, I think it's, also, I think I've done a, I don't want to say a bad job, but I haven't let, the world know like it, it it's cool i've let a documentary come out about me and not answer it i've been 25 years without speaking on stuff because i live to a cold but i, I do you know it, it, there are things that are coming out and we're working on and i think that'll be fun we are addressing uh the ncaa and other things in the documentary the whole story so that kids oh, that's right yeah that kids that go through these situations whether being a topic whether having family come whether friends if, you know, just the issues that come with it, just the help, man. God has been so good to me that that's all I've tried to focus on. That, that really, that's all. Because if not, you you know, if not, what a ungrateful son of a bitch I'd be. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I also have to realize, like, I don't have the perspective of others. Um, I'm not perfect, but I'm me, and I just love family and friends and good people. And if and and so you know, hopefully with things, uh, the book and documentary, it'll be fun. It'll help. It'll show sides of me. It'll do all this at the same time. But you know, for the most part, man, I'm just uh, encouraged by people's story. Encouraged by people getting out of fear, doing their thing, whether it's a podcast, whether it's your son and poetry and things he's doing. Think about him being 16, reading some poetry in front of the world, man. I, you know what I mean? Come on. So me, I'm I'm a person, man. I look for inspiration. I try to give it. And I'm just, I try to be a truth teller. And that's why you got to be careful because it's easier to vilify you if you say something that someone takes it personal because they think you're addressing them. And really, you know, you're just speaking your truth. So just trying to keep it moving, man. So, so talk to me about your documentary. Tell me, give me a preview of your book and your documentary because I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I've been looking forward to it for a long time because I know it's been a long work in progress. So tell me, tell me about it. So um, I've been working on it a long time. Um, mm -hmm. How it came about was uh, about nine years ago, uh, there was a documentary being done. I was told late I didn't have any 
say over my life or, or, or input. And at that point, uh, I got all the, my family on the phone because they were being affected, you know, about they were, they were being affected by negativity. And um, I said, you know, should I do this doc? And everybody said, yes, there's probably 20 people. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, y'all, but I can't do it because anything that's in there means that I'm a vouch for or that I stamp by being in there uh, because we don't know what's going to be said. And so I called a friend of mine, Peter Gilbert. Um, he is, uh, we own a company together in which we do films. And I told him I wanted to do a documentary. We had to talk about it for about three months, about how serious it would have to be, how I'd have to take ownership, how I'd have to talk through everything, and about how I wouldn't like the process. And at the same time, I said, I'm going to write a book. And I didn't know how hard that, that would be. So I started off with a sonographer, started off with uh, just vibing out for hours at a time. Then when you see your words on paper, that does something. Uh -huh. And then I really started getting into it with uh, just making a bullet point, a bullet list that probably took me a month. And from that, an outline probably took me three months. And then as the documentary would go, I would interview those people. So Coach Izzo was a big part of, I almost went to Michigan State. He was an assistant coach. Coach Izzo was a big part of my high school career. And uh, as we interview him for the documentary, uh, I do my research and I, you know, write a different story or write my story or Coach Fisher, uh, Frieder, uh, Coach K, any, any of the coaches that came around. And being part of the NCAA games really helped and gave me access okay. to a lot of the co these coaches. So, brother, the, the, the book was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it's, it's been about eight and a half years. And um, I finished it. Uh, Submitted it, and then we had the bubble. And with the bubble and the passing of Kobe, I thought I should address both of those. Uh -huh. um, and so that's why I've taken it back and, and finishing that now. Um, but I thank God. It's called by God's grace now. Last night I was dreaming, and I think I might just call it, it's all love. I don't I don't know, but that's how crazy it is because your mind never stops. But I just it's just really an ode to my parents, to the people that are around me, to the, like, the intangible force that's taking you around and that helps you through you know the worst times in your life through the best times in your life what sustains you the things that you didn't even know you were being prepared for later and how all those little instances added up to now to take uh -huh. people to the depths of my despair and how bad it was uh, when you're young and you make a mistake and then take them to okay if your father went through this you need to shut up get up and two months later you're being the number one pick and it's the biggest blessing in the world uh -huh. And so just um, perseverance and just, just really, you know, being thankful and, and definitely addressing the NCAA, definitely addressing uh, Ed Martin, definitely addressing, um, you know, thank God being number one pick going to Golden State. And the documentary does it in a more succinct way. You know, I think my book is, is more of a longer story and how it goes. And the documentary is Peter Gilbert and it's brilliant just doing his thing. Um, he's been documenting again for nine years, but the first time we met, I was 14 at Nike camp. And oh. so he has a uh, film from me and I have film for me in church when I was like nine, 12. So it's going to be a lot of jokes cracked on me, but it, it's, it's a lot of fun, man. It was uh, something that I'm really happy that I did. It's something for my children. And, you know, really the time you talk about all this, it's really, um, I own my story. 
I, I don't care what you say, meaning the world. I, I don't care. You can put a hundred on, you can put 10 on it. You can listen to this clown that's jealous. You can listen to this dude that's mad. You can listen to this dude that's this. You can listen to that dude that's this. But, you know, I've been blessed, man, to be part of the Fab Five, to be able to have a, and that was just 18 months of my career, to be able to have a great high school career, uh, NBA career, to, to have mentors like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, whatever thought. You can get right. on the phone and call Kareem and be like, Cat, man, it's crazy, man. Right, <laughs> you know right, I mean? right. Like, it's a blessing. I'm not distracted from the love. I'm not distracted from the blessings. My, my father and them went through way more, man. Who would I be? I am not entitled. So, um, you know, I think that it's just a, a, a good chance, hopefully, to inspire some people. Uh, to let the truth be out, to make sure that the people know that I know what's going on and that uh, I've been watching. And uh, hopefully it's something that, you know, make people laugh, cry, smile, all that good stuff, man. So uh, it, it's the hardest thing I've done. I'm never writing a, uh, let me say never, but I don't want to write another book. Now you'll be inspired to write another book down the road. I, I guarantee you, you will. Watch. Now mark my words. You said this now. Right. right. I, I want oh, you man. to send me a text when you write in your next book after this. <laughs> I, I, I told you. I'm gonna say I told you so. So so when you. when does the book and the documentary come out? Um, not sure now. You know, okay. I didn't even know, brother. We really were gonna talk about it. Or again, okay. this is, uh, yeah, no, just letting you know. No, it's just something that uh uh I took off I took off the proverbial rack and said, wait a minute, let me let me talk a little bit about Kobe. Let me talk about this bubble experience, what that was like, because, I mean, you really think about it, man. I mean, I, I really love the opportunities that I have as far as being in basketball. And of course, there are other things I want to do in basketball. But right now, being this close, you know, we were part of something where, you know, I got to have a voice where, you know, I, I felt it was so important for me to say something about the players and be on their side because I knew everyone didn't feel that way. Right, right. And usually you only get one voice and one perspective. And the great yeah. thing about Turner, again, is having partners that say, you know, they called me about, I was in the room, I'm getting ready for the Lakers game, I think that night, or whatever the late game was that night. And I get a call and it says the game is canceled. Now I'm watching TV all day, I'm doing this all day, but to be able to write in the book what happened at the meeting, how we went there, the fact that, you know, it's a lot of fighting going on behind and who wants you to keep playing. And the fact that I just love what Milwaukee did and that was born out of love. It wasn't some right. meeting of the minds. It was inspirational. And why I believe most movements come from that. You can't really, you can plan a movement, but something has to happen to spark a movement. So right. then you can make planning after. And just to talk about, you know, being part of it and watching attitudes sincerely change or, or the fact that your son, you know, I remember every All-Star game that, that I remember every All-Star game that I watched. And the fact that these kids will remember that these players said, we're not going to play. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Oh, I mean, how does that empower them later? Right. <laughs> you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So I really want to capture that moment from the inside because only a few of us were blessed to be in that bubble at that time. And the craziness, the fact that it hadn't happened before all the pundits, people that change their mind now. It's a lot to talk about, and I'm looking right. forward to, to people really seeing that in live time in the book. Let me, let me ask you this, and this is a question you can answer any way that you want to, okay? Um, is there a chance that sometime in the future we can see the whole Fab Five together do on stage or doing a program or something together? I, you know, I do a lot of, you know, 
work with Ray Jackson. I'm in communication with him and Jimmy King and Juwan. Like, like I said, I interviewed just about everybody for my book. And it was really, it's still, still really crazy because I grew up admiring y'all so much. But I really do, for me, I always ask this question, you know, is there a chance that sometime in the future we could see the whole Fab Five all together doing something together? I'm, I'm sure, you know, um, I talk to Ray and Swan all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm very sure of that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very sure of that. I mean, I, I want my son on stage or somewhere with his, to, to touch that greatness. You got to put that on your head right now. Right. Be like, yo, what's going on? So, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Definitely. Uh, all I can say is definitely. That's great. That's great. All right, cool. I I appreciate. It. I just wanted to ask you that because you know what I mean. I want to see the group get back together. I want to see the you know everything like that. And it was funny because you hear things pop up and people always give like the okay, who who would have won, the Fab Five or UNLV? You know, and then it starts a whole big debate. Like people really, you know, still still go. And I never I never heard you speak on it. I don't know. But let me ask you, who who do you think would have won, the Fab Five or the the UNLV with Larry Johnson and Stacey Augman, you know, Greg Anthony and that whole crew. Who who would have won that battle? So my favorite team of all time is UNLV. Of course. So you gotta remember that. And and that 89 Illinois team, the Michigan beat. And so we got a lot of our swap from them. Larry Johnson, our real number four because of Larry Johnson and because okay. of my best and because of my best friend Kevin Cole. Okay. So so Man, I mean, a, a little more, a little more context. Anderson Hunt went, is from Detroit, and okay. so I used to watch him play in high school. All so, right. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give both sides. Moses, Scurry, Ackles. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna give. I'm, I'm gonna be real. 1990, they're the best team I've ever seen in my life in college. They were the NBA pro team. Right. We could have beat them in 91 because they lost to Duke in 91. But Duke beat us, so how can I say anything? You know what I mean? But, yeah, we, we definitely, it would have been a hell of a game. And we had a, well, of course we would have got them, man. I mean, that's my man. What up, Stacey Arden? What up, all y'all? But, yeah, we would have got them. Jay would have, Jay would have, Jay would have posted up uh, Greg Anthony. We would have just let him go to work. Jimmy would have locked down everybody. Ray would have been throwing hoops to. Jamal would have been the technician on the post. And, you know. I'm just gonna try to tear the tear the rim off the hinges. So yeah, I'm gonna say that, but I'm, I'm just, let me say this: they are my favorite team. So if there is one team that we would have went to double overtime and maybe would have beat us sit in or something like that, it's, it's UNLV. Because uh, without without them, very honestly, without UNLV, it wouldn't have been us. They they, they 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 opened the floodgates, and we saw them. You know, they were doing the cabbage patch first. You know, right, I mean? right, right. They, they was. <laughs> They was looking crazy, and we took it to another level. Yep. So you know, ain't nobody after that. But UNLV was the real deal, man. The fact they were pressing, we wanted to press. They would have practices forty-five minutes without touching the ball, man. Yeah. Like I saw this. You yeah. know what I mean? They were the best in shape. They was cold on the Sports Illustrated with suits on. I had them in my wall. All the pictures cut out. So you know, you you asked me a tough one, man. That's a tough one. That's my favorite team, man. Like I had to part in the middle, like LJ. No, I had to go too, like LJ. So you can't, you can't, you know. 
I'm the only one that can talk bad about you and LZ. Everybody got you. to beat them, but you know, you know. I got you. I got you. Yeah, All right. Man. I got one more question. It's my last question and I'll let you go. And I want to read a quote. And I want you to tell me if you agree with this quote and you tell me why. It don't even matter who the quote's from. Just want to read this quote. All right. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the Sacramento Kings should have a ring on their finger. They were the best team in the league that year. That game six was definitely a situation where towards the end of that game, they got robbed. Don't even matter who that quote's from. What, it, what is your, do you agree with that quote? Do you disagree with it? What do you think? I disagree with one part. Um, the end of the game. We got robbed from the beginning of the first quarter to the end, 24 fouls in the fourth quarter, I believe. Um, I've never been part of a game like that. We were cheated. It is what it is. We still had to win the next game. But the reason why they never show that game on TV. Ever. They don't ever show it. They never show it. That's the part of just trusting God not being bitter, bro. I hear you. I, I, I uh, for the documentary, um, we, we addressed that. And shout out to Robert Roy, who does his thing, who I, I love and hate at the same time. Right. And uh, by the way, his comments on his son was, was very special. Shout out oh, to yeah. Robert Roy. He's a good man. Definitely. But I still don't like him because of that day. Right. But, um, Understood. Yeah, I mean, and even, I'm going to tell you something. Even then, because that night um, we were looking for footage in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So all these things I've had to research, right? And uh, I said in the locker room after that game, I've never been a part of this. Something ain't right. And I remember, like, just shaking, leaving. And we were just, well, we got all the footage from that night of everybody, what they said. And we have footage from what they say now. It's incredible, man. You know, commentators need to have a scoreboard, too. You can't keep having validity and be able to say anything. Should not not be able should not be able to say anything and not be brought back up on it. You should not. You should not. You should not. That's true. You should not. You should, you should not be able to pick the worst team in football and say they're going to win every week and say that it's so keep picking this team because you know their agent and all this and saying this guy's the best player. You should, you know, run the tape. That's what they do. That's what they, that's what they do in the hoopers, right? Run the tape. So, right. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah, no, I, that, yeah, we were cheated. We were cheated that game. Yeah. yeah. But I always, and I, I joke about it on Turner and all that, and they, and they know I feel that way. Um, and, and honestly, we didn't win. So it is what it is. Like, we should have won anyway. It's, yeah. it's messed up that you have to have that. It's messed up that I have to have that because I know what it was. Trust me. And we were going to play New Jersey that year. Yeah. I know what I did to New Jersey that year. Right. You know, I, I believe it. I believe <laughs> right. it. It's the real okay. All right. You know I got you. I got you. Uh, 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 New Jersey? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to bring up those New York York York. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm right. I'm watching it in real time. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, something's weird. you know. Sometimes you just something's weird going on. Something you don't know what it is, but something different is happening here with these calls. You know, and everybody's been a part of basketball and seen games where something is happening, and that's one game in particular where it definitely seemed like something was happening during that game. No doubt. And do I believe it's an anomaly? Yes. Do I believe? Yes, I believe that's one of the few that's ever happening like that. So I'm not saying in any way the league is like that, but it happened. It happened. I was there. <laughs> and anybody who would say different, I, 
I don't even acknowledge you. Right. Because <laughs> either you didn't watch the game or you wasn't at something, but, you know. All right, yeah, I that see. happened, though. Well, I appreciate. Oh, dang! One more question. What? This is my last one. And I talk about. And I talk Good. about in the book. Me and Cove having that conversation. Ah, and, uh, that's why you got. That's why you got to love Cove too. He, he was a real. Man. He was a real one. I'm a sure. Tease. He was a real. Yeah, a little tease for that. For that, but you know, it, it is what it is. We don't so, so y'all had a conversation about you and Kobe had a specific conversation about that game. What you're saying in your upcoming book? That's a great tease. Yeah, and I hope you know when 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 we finish and everything, you let me come back and I'll walk you through anything you want to be walked through. But uh, Kobe was a, was a was a hard worker and a good man, um, and we had definitely had more than one conversation about about that. Me and well, Shaq have too. I had to put those in there, but uh, me and Kobe yeah. definitely. Because those are the, those are the conversations, especially with Kobe, because people even with Kobe. They don't, they didn't know him. They thought they knew him. And, you know, and he kept himself quiet and he kept to himself and everything like that. But even when people were seeing his relationship with his daughter, it was like, oh, Kobe loves children. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's just yeah, crazy to hear yeah, people yeah. talk about uh, the athletes like they're uh, amazed that they have human qualities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> all right, all right. Last question. This is the last question. I'll let you go. What move in this free agency period surprised you the most? Um, this has been a crazy free agency period, and there was a lot of moves that I really did not see coming. What what move surprised you the most? Right now, at the top of my head, Montrez Harrell going to yep. the Clippers. There we go. It's like, go the it's, like the, the, it's like I mean the Lakers. The Lakers yeah. stole the Clippers' whole playbook. Yeah, and I love it. And maybe it's LeBron's playbook because LeBron went and got. I remember when you know I remember when people were dogging LeBron for going out to get J.R. Ryder and them. And I remember thinking they're going to win the championship because those guys are the only ones crazy enough to play defense hard every week. But watch the commentators not talk about that. But I remember you know that. And when you get Schroeder and I mean. That might be better than Lou Will and, and Montrez. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Some could judge and do that. But the, the Lakers, what they've done is just I, I can't I can't believe it. I, I think another move is uh Sacramento uh letting Bogdanovich go uh like it did. I, I didn't think that that would happen. And if I'm Milwaukee, I'm I'm mad as I don't know what, but I think right. that could happen. But Wesley Wesley Matthews, I love with the I just flat out love um I just love what the Lakers did. But but I was surprised that they let both Dwight and JaVale, uh, JaVale McGee go. Because I thought that that combination of them, seven-footers, protecting the rim, throwing lobs, everything, I, I was like, you keep that. And, I, and, and then you're like, you won the championship with that. So if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I was surprised they didn't offer Dwight a contract. And then they traded, you know, they just like they kind of just got rid of JaVale. I, and, and this is nothing against Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol is a very high-quality player, but he's different than them. Like, they are rim protectors, athletic, running. I don't even think that, that the Lakers get past Denver without Dwight and his physical play when okay. he came in. You know what I'm saying? So why would you not bring, but to, to let both of them go? So that surprised me a lot. I agree with you up until last year. 
See, I think the bubble showed them something. So first of all, they're not winning. They would not have won a championship without Dwight Howard. Let's right. get that straight. Definitely. Dwight Howard is the first battle Hall of Famer. And when people look back at his numbers, they're going to not even realize that they were talking about this man as if he couldn't play. So right. that, that's one thing. But I think them, I think going up against Denver, Jokic showed them we don't it ain't about no big man. We need somebody that can check Jokic. I think, and Dwight Howard did a great job. Yeah, that's I think okay. with him getting older, I, I think with him getting, I think with him getting older, E, I think that they feel like Montrezl Harrell, I feel like they can go small ball now and they don't want to go big ball because it was a couple series that they didn't play those two guys. And I think that you're going to see LeBron at the center or Davis at the center, meaning, yeah, we don't even care. It's no more posting up. So if it's no more posting up and we just got to worry about guards penetrating, we have Schroeder, that's a dog out there on the perimeter. I, I think yeah. they think they can do it with perimeter D now. I agree. It, it shocked me that they didn't come back, but I, I think the team is better, man. I, I think they're way better. I, I think this team destroys the Laker team of last year. Really? That's, so, see, I don't, I don't man, see I do. it. I don't see that. I see with, with them interchanging, do I, and I have to admit, I have big man bias. So I'll, I'll get that yeah, out of the way first. Yeah, yeah, I do have big yeah. man bias. And I love the way that Dwight and JaVale interchanging them and the way they did everything yeah. right. They weren't grumping about, yeah. you know, playing time yeah. or anything like that. They did what they, you know, so I just think you reward them for that. Like, number one, but then even aside from that, I just saw it as being so effective that you could come in with one and then come in with the other. And it was just like, you know, throwing the, the lobs, that's like an easy play. You come in, throw the little lob to Dwight, throw the little lob to JaVale. They're like easy buckets. You know, I I don't I don't know if you give I can see yeah. if, they, if they if they didn't bring back one of them, but to br not bring back right. either one of them. I You're right because you know one thing: the older you get, the more people come at your head, and, and it's going to be guards doing that. LeBron trying to get to the cup, and and just the fact those guys would be there flinching at you would make a lot of guys misled. So they do not have a shot blocker, and we saw that hurt not having a shot blocker killed the Clippers last year because even yeah. if they played, you know, because I never, I've never, I've never seen, you want to talk about something, I've never seen a year, I've never seen a player from your big boy and dominate anybody. Right. Talk junk, look them in their eyes. I've right. never seen Right. <laughs> like right. Dodgers did. Yeah. So let me say, you, you might, you might right. be right in it. You got to keep one of them. One of them at like, least, right? He was in there. That's, I, I'll give you that. I'll give you, but I, I give you that. I give you that. Being yeah. able to, when I saw yeah. you talk on the bubble, or, you know, during the bubble, and and give that entire, you know, really heartfelt, you know, because it, it opened up the world to to mainstream America that just don't understand how that affects us the way that it does in the world that you know what I mean. They look at us and they're like, okay, well, they're different black people. They they don't have to worry about that. And when you you know you and Doc Rivers and Robert Ory, you know, speaking at that time, I thought y'all spoke so beautifully and passionately. You know, just have a lot of respect for you, man. So keep keep doing what you're doing. That's that's my whole point. Keep doing yeah, what you're doing. I remember that night uh, just being so upset because as you watch, like, people that are in politics that talk about these social issues, it was uh -huh. like I wanted to throw stuff at the TV because how they right. report. So they right, say right, right. Breonna Taylor was shot today or they don't tell you um, where the bullets went of right. the cop that was charged. Like, right. like details are everything yes. and I've never seen a commentator on it and again second amendment rights everything of course. everything of course. Um, and so I've just never seen anyone with Breonna Taylor 
because I've seen so many people say, oh, that's not bad. And I've just never seen anyone go, imagine being in your house and someone shoots in there and you have a gun by your bed. Right. What, what do you do and do you have the right to do it? Right. I've never seen, I've never even seen anyone, I've read it, but I've never seen anyone say, her boyfriend called the police. They didn't stop and stay on there and go, well, if you call the police, do you usually do that if you're guilty or do you right. do that if you're scared? Right. You, you know, like I've never seen humanity in it. And that's what I think is missing is so much reporting, but it's done on purpose because mm -hmm. we understand whether it is GIs from America and uh, the radio being used saying they don't even love you at home. Why would you fight over here? There has right. to be a psychological warfare if, if that's going on, correct? And we understand right. that the more you talk, the more there's empathy. And so I really hope that the political commentators really take humanity along with the truth, along with small details to inform. You don't have to form anyone's opinion, but you know what material to leave out or to infuse to make sure everyone, you know, hears about it. And I, I would, I, I think one of the most gratifying moments was to speak to family. You know, when Trayvon Martin passed away, uh -huh. he was doing a podcast and um, we heard about it live. And one of his family members called and talked about like how much that meant. And I, I remember thinking, you know, that's really wonderful, thank you. But I remember thinking like more people aren't talking about this and he was on his way to the store at halftime watching the All-Star game. Right. Every hooper, every hooper's going to the store or to the refrigerator right. at halftime of the All-Star game growing up. Right. You know, those type of, of things. And so back to your question about the narrative, I really hope that people read more and really read more into the stories they're being told because you shouldn't accept everything that you're being told. You, you should listen, you should prod and a lot of times we give uh, too much responsibility, too much credit, and too much ownership to those that are telling the story. And it's up to us to dig in there a little bit more and find, you know, find the whole truth you in know, there. And I think that, you know, we wouldn't be led as easy as we are sometimes. You know, I, I you know, to speak a little bit more specifically, you know, I, I wrote an article uh, for BasketballNews.com after uh, Shaq and Barkley made you know, their comments on TNT about Breonna Taylor. And it, and it wasn't a personal attack. It wasn't, you know, I have no issues with Shaq or Barkley. I just disagreed with their presentation of the Breonna Taylor case. And, you know, they have, all of y'all, y'all have this huge platform. And, you know, with, not to sound the quote Spider-Man, but, you know, with great, you know, um, this great platform, you know, it, you, you have to have... You have to have that responsibility to present it the right way. And you have this power, you know, and I just thought that the way that they presented it, I was like, well, wait a minute. Barkley said, well, the, the, the boyfriend shot at the cops first. So, you know, this case is different. I was like, well, the cops broke into his house and didn't announce themselves. You can't leave that part out when you're discussing the If you're going to discuss it, now, nobody said you had to discuss it. But when you, if you're going to discuss it, you have to discuss it in its totality and you have to be able to give an accurate presentation. And I just thought that they dropped the ball on that topic. Uh, and I think that we as, you know, we all have a respect for each other where we can say that we disagree with somebody without attacking them personally. I'm not going to call them a name or say that they're this. I just disagree yeah. with their presentation on this particular topic. And I, and I, I think that it, you know, it, it's, it's something where we have to hold each other accountable. 
I mean, I, I have a very strong, I don't want to say uh, dislike, but I'll say I have a dislike for the way the media has portrayed us in the past. And then now that, you know, so many of us are in the media, I think that we have to hold each other accountable to not fall into that same category that we dislike the most about how our people were portrayed and not be so, so removed from that to where we can't see if we're doing the same thing that Tucker Carlson is doing or Sean Hannity. We can't be included right. in that group. You know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah. No, you're so right. Funny you mentioned. I've been like on a, a social media cleanse, I think for like a month. I'm going to get back on it soon, but I felt like I had to kind of get away, you know, from it and like recalibrate. I didn't see the Barkley uh, Chuck thing. I definitely heard about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't didn't see it, you know, you know, didn't watch it after on purpose. Um, But another thing about that, you know, and and I just hate it because I'm like, the people can't be better lawyers than the lawyers on TV right. to get to speak for five minutes on CNN because no one ever said, why would you knock with a no-knock warrant? Right. Right. Like, well, no, but yeah. I've never heard this. Yeah. And, and I think the people, what I'm encouraged by are the people that are getting frustrated. I don't want the people to get frustrated, but I know when the people get frustrated, something happens. And uh-huh. You know, it's too much information out there to try to do the news in the way of old and control us with sound bites. It's too much news. It's too much news out there. And so I when I don't hear people say that, or when I don't see, like, I don't see people mad. Like, even, even, I, I just, I, you know, it, it just hurts me that, that all I see is her beautiful picture, and we, you know, know that she fought for this country, and she did, you know, those type of things. And I just hope that there's some common sense reporting with um with the information and when you were talking about narratives that's why i quit watching the news the last month that's why i got off of social media because i found myself being more pissed about the narrative than being able to read what was going on and right it's the brianna taylor's it's 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 the fact that trayvon man had marijuana you know if we talk about trayvon he was hunted like when did when does stand your ground become you hunted me, now I can beat you up. Right. But you stand your ground because you hunt me, I beat you up, and now it ain't no fun rap. You you now you allowed to shoot me? Like right. I just I just don't think people just really don't understand the you know, it's just, you know, I've I've always known it. It was that terrible joke when we were growing up, you know, hopefully we make it till we eighteen, you know, we right. it in our neighborhoods, right. having a, having friends and, and, and nephews, nieces and sons. You know, daughters, it's just, um, you know, it's okay. We're going to raise them the right way. I see what you're doing. Your son is an inspiration to all these kids right. out here and, and, nice. and the parents out here. And I just think it's up to us to make sure their third eyes open and make sure they're not sheep and to make sure they're good, God-loving people and go get it, man. But they got to be aware because yeah. it's, it's, it's a game out here, man. And it definitely is. Up in it, quick. It, it definitely, <laughs> definitely is true. And it just, and it just bothers yeah. me sometimes yeah. when I see – people that look like me and look like us on TV echoing what we see on Fox News. You know, when I see, I don't want to mention their names, I can mention their name, like Jason Whitlock or Candace Owens or something like that echoing, I'm like, what are they even talking about? We don't have to go down that road. I don't want you, you don't have to say that, but for me, that bothers me. That bothers me a lot, you know? So, you know, I, I, that's why I just say much respect to you for, you know, everything that you do and the stances that you take. Well, I'll say this just to throw more, 
gasoline to the fire, you know, I think, you know, growing up in the church um, and, and then really not, you know, I have my personal relationship with God and I've gotten away from religion. It just okay. has to be tied down and uh -huh. tradition. Um, and, you know, even, even, you know, evangelicals in their relationship. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the most segregated place you can oh, go to is a church. Definitely. You know, the, the fact that if you look at any religion, you know, the basis of any religion or even in Christianity, it is to love others as Christ has loved you or uh -huh. treat others as you. And so when you look at things like, I remember, you know, being from Detroit, my mother worked in a lot of social programs. She taught it, um, Shout out to Jamil Hill and Winans. Uh, who else went there? The Clark Sisters, Fred Hammonds. But she called the school called Mumford. Uh, and um, I was able to go to all these. I was able to go to a school because I played basketball. That the tuition at the school cost more than she was getting paid to teach at Mumford. And she would never go to these other schools. And my mother would say, no one puts their best resources in us. And I knew that that was, you know, something that, that we had to do ourselves, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I don't want to go off on, on too much of a tangent, but to see, you know, the fact that in the eighties there and to see family, friends, um, be hurt by crack cocaine or yeah. to be, to see people that had upstanding jobs in the community and see how they were vilified. Like, mm. you know, crack has its thing. You shouldn't use crack. Crack is whack, but, Right. vilification of it from Reagan's just me you know and then to see how you know and talking to my friends of different colors and origins now and explaining to them how you see the um, understanding yeah. uh, or uh, you see how people care about opioids yeah like, what is the difference yeah you, yeah. you know what I mean and, and it's all terrible mm -hmm. but those are narratives that, that my mother would make me aware of you know, it'd be, I'm sure it's like in your house. I'm sure your son's like, all right, yeah, everything. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the prize. Right. But in my family, it was always these discussions. And I can't yeah. get away from, you know, thinking if not for the grace of God, yeah. that would be me. And if that's the way you think, why wouldn't you want to? Right. You know, and so it's, it's been, um, 2020 has been, a, it's been a, 2020, 2020 has been a terrible year in a lot of ways. And, and in some ways, I think it's, uh, hopefully reset the thinking of the people and empower the people to know that, you know, they have the answers inside of them. They just need to go deeper and tap into, you know, that relationship with God and themselves. And so it's, it's crazy, but thank you for what you're doing, man. And um, it's, oh, it's really good to talk to people like yourself because it keeps me encouraged, you know, when you're going out here fighting the world every day. Yeah, so, got to. Things, got to. I mean, my mother always told me, when you're, when you're blessed, you got to be a blessing to somebody else. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a position where I can say what I want to say. You know what I mean? So I just have to keep on, on doing that. Yeah. And that's why I, I definitely, yeah. you know, connected with you and saw you. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love what this brother's doing. And your whole spirit. You doing what you doing? I got some random information, man. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I got to edit all this. It's, it's all know, good. See, I got some random information. So I give my boys and they give me random information. Um, uh, narratives. So we always talk about narratives of slaves of people brought over here and of uh, people that were slaves while they lived here. And we always talk about bad eating habits in, in the black community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just want the black community to understand that 
Uh, I don't I don't think it's any worse than any community or anything. I'm not addressing today. I'm not talking about today. Uh, I just want uh, people to understand that um, whether because of necessity or because uh, those are the fruits and vegetables that we brought or because we were farmers, that uh, I'm reading a great book right now. I don't want to give the title until I finish the, the whole book. Right. But it, it goes through how the first uh, vegan and vegetarians were those um, people brought over here and how that culture really spread. And yesterday in cooking greens and, you know, uh, you know, sweet potatoes, it really hit me while I'm reading this book that my favorite sides are vegetarian. And this is what okay. people would, you know, you know. So I talked to the average person, ah, pig feeders. I'm like, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, my father's from the country. I know what it is. I'm not ashamed of being resourceful, eating uh, animal from the head to the tail, because right now that's sure. cool, but that's what we have to do and been doing. Right. But um, we've always had like a great diet. And I've been talking to like kids at this school, like, no, nah, this is not anybody else's food. This is our food and this is how we've been. And I don't know why I'm doing that. But when you talk about the narrative of uh, the watermelon, yeah, how yeah, it is yeah. the super fruit, yeah. and how they tried to shame us not to yeah. eat it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just, I could just keep going on and on about yeah. narratives. And so it's always fun just to read and check out who we were, who we are, who we will be. And I'm a quick talker, man. Me and you just need to just face yeah, each other more. So just talk, I man. Bore, I don't got to bore the people with all this, this stuff. No, no, no. That's good stuff, man. And like I said, people don't know different sides of you. So I, I think it's great. You know, I love yeah. chopping it up with you, man. So, yeah, yeah that's what's up, man. Yeah, well, man. hey. Hey, I appreciate it. I kept you longer than I told you I was going to keep you. But like I, like you said, we could just talk and chop it up for, you know what I mean? To go on all yeah, yeah, different man. topics. But, yeah. Hey, man, but I appreciate you, man. Yeah, so yeah, stay man. safe. You know, this this next season's coming up. I know they don't know what what how they're going to do it yet. You know, they, they don't know if they're going to go to yeah, a bubble yeah, situation. Yeah. They don't know. But they know it's starting in December. So December's around the corner. So just want to, you know, keep yeah. keep, keep yourself safe. You know, we protected everything like that. And, you know, I just hope I just pray that everybody just stays safe, whatever they, you know, last season was a success. So I just want to keep everybody yeah. safe. That's that's my prayer. But it'll be great to see, um, you know, another NBA season and hear you commenting. So, all right, man, that's it, though. I appreciate, I appreciate you. Man. Go ahead. Have a good all day. Right. Thanks again for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm right, about man. to go wrestle these twins. Pray for me, man. Hope I make all it all right. Enjoy, man. <laughs> all right, man. Peace. All right, baby. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, Vinny Del Negro, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Thomas 36 Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.